We've been working our way through the second chapter of Acts, and those of you who were uh, around in the 70s know that's probably a name of a band, but a um, couple of people have laughed if they were into CCM back then. Um, this morning, we will be in the second chapter of Acts, and I want to actually start with verse 22, which we read last week, but it displays to us the reason we are here today. So let's stand and read verse 22 through 24. Our, our message will probably be primarily be through 37 through 41, but here's where, why we're here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Lord, your glory is unfathomable. Help us to rejoice in the resurrection and the power you give us through your spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in Acts 2, remember how long this was after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection? 50 days. I thought it was appropriate to stay here because Peter just brought us through this whole message where he stands in proclamation and in some ways, right here, accusation of the leaders and the people of the day. And so uh, it's... It's impossible to rejoice in Christ's suffering without realizing his victory through it. Not over it, through it. God was the only being capable of dealing with our problem. And so he came and did it. And that's why we're here today. That's why we celebrate. And Jesus, at his ascension, said, wait. And that's our least favorite answer to prayer, right? When we pray for something, we're like, car still didn't start, God. Whatever it may be, right? We pray for something and expect it to happen. But here's the deal, is that our sanctification comes through the Lord's patience. God gets us ready for what He has in store when He answers with that four-letter word we don't like, wait. And so, the disciples waited and we saw in chapter 1, they got in a hurry about a few things. It wasn't really a problem that they did. But we, we see them going, what are we going to do now? How are we going to know when God arrives? And they knew. I mean, an unrepeatable event happens in the beginning of chapter 2. We don't need the Holy Spirit to fall on the church again. Because it already did. The Holy Spirit is here. 
And I've had multiple conversations today, even this morning, and, and so many people are going through so many hard things right now. And that, that's life in humanity. We are sinners. This world is broken. And as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to deal with problems. Even in our redemption, God says, I am with you in your suffering. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we look at the Great Commission, that would be Matthew chapter 28. We read the, or the, the kids read the beginning of that this morning. When Jesus commissions the disciples, he says, I am with you even to the end of the age. What does that follow? I mean, we tend to take that as a word of comfort to remember that we are not by ourselves. But what is God's call in that? To proclaim the gospel. And we've prayed that way this, already this morning. That God would be at work through us as we proclaim the gospel. And I think it's entirely appropriate to see how his disciples respond once the power of the Spirit is in them. Guys, Valentine's Day was barely two months ago. Okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that for a reason. Because... Less than two months earlier, what had Peter done? He denied his master three times on the night he was crucified. On the 50th day after that, what happened? He proclaimed that statement we just read. There was a difference. What changed? They waited on God, and He supplied the power. There's a lot of things to learn in those intermediary days. The 40, Jesus, 40 days Jesus walked on the earth, and the 10 days they waited after His ascension. And now we see that it did take hold. And this character, Peter, who's proclaiming this message in chapter 2, is a different person than he was 50 days earlier. Jesus' resurrection and ascension is what changed that. That's, what's the, that's the only thing that changed, guys. He spoke the words as they happened, and all of a sudden, the empowerment of the Spirit came upon them. So I want to look today, as, as we continue, on what happened to the church in the church when they heard the message empowered through the spirits. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What did they hear? I want to back up just a verse, <laughs> just a verse. Well, they had heard entire, the entirety of Peter's message, one whole page here in my Bible. It says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. What does Christ mean? The anointed one, the one who would bring fulfillment. This Jesus whom you crucified. Okay, that's the immediate statement. The context matters, and I realize that some people weren't here last week. So when it says, now when they heard this, we go, what did they hear? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Terminology matters. It showed that it affected the very core of their existence. All of a sudden, 
they realized, the audience realized. Remember, these were the crowds that called for Jesus' crucifixion. They were cut to the hearts. The very core of who they were, they realized what they did. And it's easy to look 2,000 years later and say, yeah, they did. It says it right there. They're the ones who called for his death. They're the ones who killed him. But if we look in theologically, why did Jesus die? What did he take upon himself on the cross? The sin of the world. Now, I don't know what reality you exist in at this moment, but I think that's all of us. And I think that's everybody around us. Jesus took every sin ever committed, took on the existence of sin as a state of being, and died. The one who is perfect and spotless took upon himself, and this great exchange takes place. He, again, I, I keep throwing the, I, I might as well just put it in the, in the message notes every week. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There was a transaction there. He took all of it and gave us his life when we trust in him. In him. And we're going to get to that here in a second. Peter and the rest of the apostles, as they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles in verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do? Have you ever wondered what would happen if we simply told our neighbor what Jesus did? It's not up to me whether they believe it. What God has called us to do is to proclaim it. And Peter, I don't think, was too worried about what their response was going to be because of that passage that we just read, right? You crucified him. If he was that worried about it, he probably wouldn't have said that. He wasn't worried about what their response was in the physical sense. He was concerned about their eternal existence. What must we do in response to this? And Peter said to him in verse uh, 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a pattern that repeats itself. We're going to see it over and over and over again. I'm not going to chase them now because we're going to keep going through the book of Acts. But this is, this is Peter's message. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. What does repent mean? That means we recognize that we are sinners and we turn from that. We change directions. We're walking any pathway in the, it may be. And, you know, the, the world tells us that there is multiple paths to one destination. Well, the problem is those paths don't have the same map. When you look at John 14, 6, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. We, we have a very G-rated view of eternity when it comes to the culture. We want to think that just because we liked somebody and they did some nice things, 
that their destination will be to a better place when they pass. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible warns us that the price of our sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And that's not a popular thing to say. Even in the church, somebody, some people, not saying this to you guys, I'm just saying. Sometimes they go, oh, don't talk about that other place. We want to hear about heaven. There's warnings that say the loving thing to do is to tell somebody that bridge is out. They'll figure it out on their own. Yeah, they will. What's the merciful thing to do if you know the bridge is out? It's to block the road and say, turn around. Change directions. The loving thing is to tell the world what Christ has done to rescue us, to give us that salvation. Repent, be baptized. So the picture of trusting Christ is submitting to his lordship. And to be baptized means that we're, they, they went to the pools around Jerusalem and even if they wandered off a little further to the Jordan River and they, they dunked them. They, that's what the word means. Immerse, baptizo in Greek. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Why? Because that step of obedience shows our trust in him. It submits our lives to His Lordship. And Lordship is a, is a kind of a foreign concept in a de democratic society. <laughs> but the Lord of the land is the one who control, has full authority over all of that. And when we say Jesus is Lord, that means we're giving Him reign in our lives over everything that we are. And if Christ is our Lord and we trust Him, why wouldn't we take that step? Of obedience and baptism. And in that, in that step of trust, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By faith you are saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's because of our salvation that we take that step of obedience and God gifts us the, the, the Holy Spirit. For the promise, verse 39, is that this will continue generation to generation. From the, for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There is sovereignty in salvation. He gives us a choice. We choose to trust in him when we follow him. And so he continues on in verse 41. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them or encourage them. He's saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He says, this is the way it happens. Trust in the name of the Lord. As I was looking through this, and as actually this was a last-minute addition uh, to the text, I want to turn back real quick to Zechariah chapter 12, because this was foretold that this would happen in more than one place in the Old Testament. Here's another one. Last week we talked a little bit about some of them. But I was going to read one verse, and then I kept... That's what happens. Because I want to pick one verse as an illustration, and then I read the next one. And then it becomes five or six. And then we've read the whole Old Testament. Oh, right, never mind. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. 
And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. That's very interesting, right? Verse 11, on that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Rahman in the plain of Megiddo. Plain of Megiddo, Armageddon, we'll just get there on that. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives on themselves, the family of the house of Levi and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves. So they're going to be grieving the loss of this one who is anointed. Not stopping at that verse, though. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Little did the prophets realize what they were writing. I, one of my favorite uh, thoughts about Isaiah chapter 53, the picture of the suffering servant, is what happened when Isaiah went home and told his wife about what God told him to write down today. <laughs> Excuse me? He was pierced for our trans... What? Who is he talking about? I haven't met the guy, but it's going to happen. I kind of see the same kind of thing happening with the prophet Zechariah here. What does all that mean? And all of a sudden, it becomes clear and this man, Jesus, God in flesh. He is the one who pays the price for our sin. He is the one who brings the iniquity, the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He is the one who pays the price on the cross, is buried in a borrowed tomb. That is the only time in history that can be said. <laughs> I'm just going to use this for a day or two. Right? I don't think that happens again. In a borrowed tomb, he is laid. And on the third day, after the day of rest, why did Saturday matter? It was the Sabbath. It was the day of rest. It was the holiest of Sabbaths as well, after the Passover. And it was not lost upon the disciples that they look back later in the Passover meal as we see the fulfillment of the pure, spotless lamb. That they stabbed him. They pierced him. To prove his death. That Jesus stands before us now, risen. That's why we celebrate on Easter. And that's what the, that's what the, uh, the disciples bring in the message here. And how did it all work itself out? Verse 41 shows us, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a lot of people. We can fit about 250 people in here. That was before COVID, right? You get the six foot... Anyway, sorry. But 
that's at least 10 times the size of the room that people can fit in here. And I can tell you that when they, they did the, the occupancy stats for this room in 1966, it was very different than the expectation for 2023. Because if we pack 250 people in here now, you go, it smells funny. 18-inch bottoms. I get at least 24. So anyway... We see that if we truly respond to the Spirit's call, He does amazing things that we could never imagine. And building capacity at that point does not matter. That's not what it's about. There are plenty of people in Pueblo, Colorado that are not in any church building right now. And there are plenty of spaces in every building for anybody who wants to come and hear the word of the Lord voluntarily. That's not what this is about. The point is, is that we see that the obedience of the disciples and the power of the Spirit at work brings salvation to all who heard it and received it. So, verse 41, this is an interesting thing because this, this tells us a couple of things. When they heard the message... Some people didn't receive it. Those who received his word were baptized. Not everybody we tell about the good news of Jesus Christ is going to receive it. But it's not your responsibility to receive it. It's your responsibility to proclaim it and live it. And walk in the grace that you've been given. There is no sin that is unforgivable if you're still breathing. Some of you who might have grown up in a different denomination, a different tradition, might say, wait a second, I heard about seven deadly something. That's not in the Bible. I had somebody call, when we were still in Fort Worth, when I was in seminary, uh, a lady in the church called me and said, can you show me where to find the seven deadly sins? I said, nope. You know why? Because they all are. The wage of sin is death. One sin put Christ on the cross. Realizing the magnitude then of all of our sin, <laughs> Christ taking the sin of the world upon his shoulders takes on a whole new perspective. But there's hope again because of his resurrection. That's why we gather today. That's why we're here. We live and live out that love that he has offered us because of his resurrection today. God truly, and we sang it earlier, truly loves us. He finds value in each being he has created. He takes care, takes care in Matthew of the sparrows and the flowers. The problem is that we're sinners and we need a little bit of different kind of care. And when we look around us and we see the evil in our world, it's easy to get mad at somebody. And a lot of times, the one we decide to get mad at is God. But remember, He's the one who brought us the solution. He gave us the choice, we blew it, and He came to fix it. And it's hard to wrap our minds around it when we see the grief, when we see the hardship, when we see devastation 
in so many different contexts in our world. But remember, those things happened then too. And this was the solution then. It hasn't changed to now. Christ is the Lord. Let's tell that old, old story of Jesus and his love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope, even as we all deal with different trials and sufferings and insults and persecution and illness and injury and, as the Bible would say, hardship and toil. Thank you that even in the moments where it doesn't feel like it, your promise is that you are with us. You will comfort us and you will give us the power to proclaim your love, to walk and be courageous for you. There are so many here today, as I've talked with different people that are going through hardship and trials and struggles, I pray that you, um, you give them the courage to trust you, even if we don't really feel like it, Lord, that we live by the promise you have given us in your word, that you desire to transform our hearts and our lives today. I thank you for using an unworthy vessel as myself to proclaim your word because of the righteousness that you give me through Jesus Christ. Help us to live that out today. In Jesus' name, amen.